Dude, did you see the video Tucker Carlson dropped to promote his new The End of Men documentary? Just manly men doing manly things like chopping wood and fighting each other and milking cows. And they all apparently function in a world with no shirts. I'm not going to say anything more except there is a Vitruvian man with a Tesla charger heating up his balls. <laughs> Look, I lived in the gay village in Toronto, the West Village of New York, and the West Village of Los Angeles. And I am sure I have never seen anything quite so homoerotic, which is great. But I think that Tuckums was making the exact opposite point. <laughs> And welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. America is deeply divided. That's not news. But the authoritarian ruler of Russia deciding to invade a democratic neighbor and American ally to execute civilians, commit war crimes, and destroy cities for sport is the type of international crisis that traditionally would have inspired Americans to set aside their differences and unite against a common enemy. As Georgetown professor and writer for The Guardian, Thomas Zimmer says, conservatives are usually very committed to the idea of patriotic unity when it comes to foreign enemies, especially one that has played the leading role as our country's nemesis, as Russia has throughout our modern history. However, instead of bringing us together, a united force of democratic values rally around our president as he strengthens NATO and stands up to this tyrant, the right's reaction to Russia's attack on Ukraine has ranged anywhere from we should go head to head with the Russians in an all out war to who cares about Ukraine to enthusiastic admiration for Putin and his bold strongman behavior. It's bizarre. It's almost as if people have been so brainwashed against Democrats that even an all out war being waged against freedom and democracy itself can't bring the people to stand on the side of the American president if that president happens to be a Democrat. It's almost as if the Republicans have been forced or chosen to take the counter position, even if that means supporting Russia in a war with America. The party of Reagan now seems closer to the party of Putin, and I would like to explore how we got here. Here's the reality. American democracy, though never perfect, has been eroding rather than evolving for about 50 years. From the creation of the American Legislative Exchange Council in the mid-1970s to advance the free market through partnership with legislatures and the corporate sector that basically turned into a backroom arrangement where corporations could pay a fortune to have lawmakers introduce bills that they wrote themselves. To the 1976 Supreme Court decision Buckley v. Vallejo that struck down the amount of money individuals could contribute to their own campaigns opening the door for rich people to buy their way into government, and set the precedent for Citizens United, which opened the floodgates for unlimited dark money to flow into our elections. Ronald Reagan took the country on a sharp right turn in the 80s to paraphrase a response on the Washington Post website by doing racism, sexism, and greed with a movie star smile, a whispered dog whistle, and a flag on his lapel. It's the Reagan presidency that got the segregationist evangelicals on board, made the abortion one-issue voter, resurrected the age of the robber baron, demonized drugs and gay people, and set up the media for a destructive bias by killing the fairness doctrine. 
According to experts on the Reagan years, Reagan also spent a fair amount of his time killing any and all New Deal programs. And while he and the GOP failed to destroy Social Security or Medicare, Reagan was able to put in place the men who would eventually destroy unions and labor by dividing workers using culture war issues that put the blame on immigrants, people of color, and women for anything that was going wrong. This was also the time that the Republican goal to destroy public education to promote theocratic charter schools was born, an idea that along with the death of Roe v. Wade is finally bearing fruit. And the three Bush terms can be credited with getting the ball rolling on voter suppression. So as those in the know are quick to point out, the trauma we all experienced under Trump, the bills we're seeing passed today, the underhanded behavior of GOP operatives like Steve Bannon and Paul Manafort, Roger Ailes over at Fox, even people like Brett Kavanaugh and Ken Starr, this all started way before Trump came on the scene. Trump didn't arrive in a vacuum. It took five decades of trashing Democrats, undermining any programs for the poor, and demonizing the other to have a fertile enough ground to now see the results we are seeing. Reagan and the Bushes gave us Newt Gingrich, Mitch McConnell, Antonin Scalia, and the activist far-right Supreme Court. Even the attempted overturning of the election has ties to the Republican players like Roger Stone and John Eastman, who planned to overturn the 2000 election should Gore have won. It's what came before that brought us to the GOP of today. This win-at-all-cost, the-other-side-is-the-enemy, fight-to-the-death-for-the-rule-of-the-rich-white-man and his allies. This is the worst of America. This is the entitled mentality that slaughtered an entire civilization of people, took their land, built their dreams on their bones, and now don't want their kids to learn about it. This is the dark side of American manifest destiny, the progeny of people who believed it was their right to enslave a group of people to create their future. This is not the spirit of America that fought their colonial rulers for independence, who spoke with one voice as we the people, who wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. These are the descendants of the people who fought their fellow countrymen for the right to enslave human beings as their way of life, who screamed and cried when they were forced to sit on buses or go to school with people of a different color. These are the children of the Americans who fought against a woman's right to vote or speak or own property and who want to take women's autonomy back now. The GOP of today is more in line with the fascist empires of the 20th century than the pluralistic democracies of the 21st. Their slogan itself belies their intention to make America great again, to take us back to a time when things were great and things were only great back in time for a certain group of people. And that is the same group of people the Republicans fight for today. We have to understand that this kind of compromised Republican Party is not only a danger to America itself because they're willing to do anything, including abandoning the rule of law and democracy to retain power in a country that they have lost influence, but ripe for foreign interference. Foreign interference that plays dirty and has found compatriots in America willing to do the same. We need to understand that everything we're seeing unfold now is connected. The destruction of public schools, the increasing wealth gap, the end of a woman's right to choose, the rise of the religious right, and the tyranny of the minority. This was all set in motion decades ago. And the foreign interference? That's not new either. Those looking to destroy America have always known because of our geography, national unity, and military power that America would not be taken from the outside, but from within. As Thomas Zimmer says, conservatives might not like Putin, 
but they like multiracial pluralistic democracy even less. The far right has become infatuated with autocrats like Putin and Hungary's Viktor Orban as an alternative to a changing global world they see as the destruction of Western civilization. Like it or not, the far right is drawn to Putin's condemnation of the weak, woke West. It may feel shocking, but it shouldn't be surprising that many Republican leaders and conservative elites think the current American president is more dangerous than the Russian autocrat because he is offering a different version of America, a more cohesive, open, tolerant America, a president who takes a black South Asian woman as his running mate and puts a black woman on the Supreme Court, a democratic president who believes in government and its ability to do good and has policy and plans to do just that. That doesn't work for a reactionary party looking out for its corporate donors who rely on voter suppression, gerrymandering, and the antiquated electoral college system to stay in power. A party who complain endlessly about what's wrong with America, but make no attempts to fix it. The Republicans haven't even had an official position since 2016. They function solely now on stirring up culture war issues to make people angry and force engagement. It's the Facebook algorithm as a political strategy. They railed on the Affordable Care Act for over a decade, but never once offered an alternative. They claimed Infrastructure Week was around the corner for an entire presidency, but never wrote a bill. They're riding high on the pain of inflation, but as we see from high-profile Republicans like Governor Greg Abbott, they will deliberately make it worse to make the Democrats look bad. There's no thought for the American people, our suffering, our problems, our needs. It's what can we do to get back in power and stay there. And that mentality aligns far more with how Putin runs his country than how we have ever run ours. As Jon Stewart recently told Kara Swisher on her podcast Sway, It's been pretty clear for years that the Republicans would rather do a deal with Putin than Pelosi. He goes on to say, Steve Bannon, Paul Manafort, these guys, they use Hungary and the Eastern Bloc dictators as test kitchens, the way McDonald's will test a new sandwich in the Midwest. Stewart says, this group view Putin as a defender of Western civilization. Russia is an Orthodox Christian, generally homogeneous society, incredibly conservative, unfriendly to gays and minorities, patriarchal and rules-based. It's exactly the kind of world the right wing wants. Stewart brings his point home by pointing out Putin gets to say all the things the Republicans really want to say, and sometimes get to, depending on what hour of Fox News you're watching. It's hard to deny that there is a part of the right that idolizes Putin as a defender of white Christian values. In 2013, for instance, Pat Buchanan, conservative American journalist and politician who ran for president three times and worked under three Republican presidents, described Putin as one of us, an ally in the defining struggle between conservatives and traditionalists and the militant secularism of multicultural transnational elites. Famous evangelist and right-wing darling Franklin Graham praised Putin in 2014 for taking a stand to protect Russia from the damaging effects of the gay and lesbian agenda. After the 2016 election, this simmering admiration for Putin morphed into the foundations of the GOP agenda, with Donald Trump himself leading the Republican Party into a vocally pro-Russian group. The appeal of Putin and conservative Christian society goes way beyond conservative elites. In fact, according to Zimmer, support for Donald Trump directly corresponds with a favorable opinion of Putin. And Americans who see the U.S. as being a Christian nation have a very favorable view of Russia itself. In fact, according to an analysis from the Washington Post in January 2022, Putin had a significantly higher approval rating among Republicans than Joe Biden. 
Remember those t-shirts from the Trump rally on those two white men that said, I would rather be a Russian than a Democrat? This is where we're at. So these authoritarian curious, white Christian nationalist, anti-left leanings are now informing the right's reaction to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The far right is all in on Putin. Steve Bannon declared his support because Putin ain't woke. He's anti-woke. The Christian nationalist wing of the Republican Party, like Delaware Republican Party candidate for Senate Lauren Witzke, proudly declared she supports Putin because of his Christian values. As if we don't have a lifelong practicing Catholic as president of the United States. Vladimir Putin understands his appeal to Western reactionaries. He likes to present himself as an ally in the fight against wokeism, often railing against cancel culture and the West's supposed obsession with gay and trans rights while emphasizing Russia's traditional family values. Rod Dreyer, writer for the American Conservative and leading figure in the religious right, was begrudgingly pro-Trump because Trump was enthusiastically anti-liberal. But he strongly believes that Putin and Orban are correct about the society-destroying nature of wokeness and post-liberal leftism. People like Dreyer are convinced that the Democrats and what he calls the American elite, those who run corporations, universities, the media, law, medicine, sports, and the military, as if the majority of those aren't run by corporations or conservatives, are actively destroying this country and its founding values with their ideology. Their ideology of what, you have to wonder. Fairness and acceptance, equality under the law, the idea that anyone from anywhere can make it if they work hard enough should really apply to everyone and not just the chosen few. Maybe we should back it up and ask ourselves what really are the founding values of America? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? I see no reason why things like people's pronouns or gay marriage would infringe on that. Freedom? I guess the question is freedom for whom? Equality under the law. Well, it becomes increasingly obvious that that is not something we have in America and something that the far-right Supreme Court is now choosing to undermine every day. The right to vote. Republicans' whole plan to win elections is now based on voter suppression, so no. Maybe it's our can-do attitude, our pull-yourself-up-from-the-bootstraps entrepreneurial spirit that we can hang our hats on. But sadly, Republicans have been passing legislation for years to make sure that dream is not possible for most people. Perhaps the reality of America and how we got here is one of the reasons Republicans don't want us teaching real history. Because heaven forbid our youth start questioning how we got here, or worse, figure out that certain people have been undermining what America is supposed to stand for while making you pledge allegiance to it for generations. They might demand change, and conservatives can't have that when the status quo works so well for them. Ron Dreyer, from the American Conservative, recently complimented Republican Senator Tom Cotton for introducing a bill to prohibit schools from participating in the gender transitions of children behind their parents' backs. As if that's a real problem that needs legislation. He went on to say America needs more direct interference in this department, that it's time we got serious and quit playing around before it's too late which is clearly the background sentiment behind what's happening with these don't-say-gay bills, anti-trans bills, and the straight-up reversal of women's rights in the country right now. The dogma on the right basically boils down to the radically un-American woke left is trying to destroy the country and we have to stop them at all costs. Texas Senator Ted Cruz claims Democrats have already been successful at undermining our nation with our woke, emasculated military. As if we didn't have to just pass a law to protect our female service officers from sexual assault and abuse because so many of the soldiers and commanders were sweeping their assaults under the rug. Yeah, that sounds incredibly super woke and emasculated. 
Thomas Zimmer writes that none of the conservative and right-wingers who are currently professing their sympathy for Putin seem to know much about Russia or care about the specific causes and dynamics of what's going on in Ukraine. What matters to them is an imagined Russia, a stronghold of white patriarchal Christianity, where men get to be real men. Zimmer says they love how these autocratic leaders glorify their nation's past, forcefully push back against the cunning globalists, which of course is code for Jewish people, and deal with the real leftist enemy. Zimmer says right-wingers everywhere seem to understand the historic significance of this current fight over the world order more than many people on the left. They understand we're in a war for which direction we go in the future, and sadly, their loyalties currently align closer with nations like Russia than with what's happening here at home. Zimmer questions if it's even possible to establish a stable, multiracial, pluralistic democracy because one has never actually been achieved. But the idea of it is one that reactionaries abhor. To them, a successful, stable, truly multiracial democracy would be the end of Western civilization as they know it, and they are determined to fight back by whatever means necessary. The right-wing admiration for autocrats like Putin and Orban is a glaring reminder that the struggle over democracy and pluralism isn't just playing out in the U.S., that this pushback from those who want nothing to change or who want to go back to the way things were is an international phenomenon. It's also why right-wing movements across the world became obsessed with Trump. They saw his election in the U.S. as proof that their sense of the world would ultimately prevail over this touchy-feely, everyone's-accepted, multiracial society. Trump was the opposite of all that progress. He would stem the tide, and yes, he would make America and then the world great again. Zimmer says, in a way, this growing obsession with foreign autocrats is a reaction to Trump's failure to do what they thought he would do. If not Trump, then whom? Far-right reactionaries are now looking elsewhere for leadership. Dreyer believes that Putin and Orban have shown the way forward. He, like many others on the far right, believe that the left has forced them to function in a society that has destroyed the idea of men and women. And the main lesson conservatives can learn from Viktor Orban and his government is that these guys understand the severity of the situation. They see it for the civilizational struggle it is. So their opponents in the struggle are not just on the other side. These people are godless degenerates who are using the power of the state to tear our society apart. That is how many right-wing mega-supporters see Democrats, as sick monsters out to destroy the America they know. This is what Fox News and Facebook and far-right media push every day. This is the platform Donald Trump, his supporters and enablers have built their movement on. Democrats are pedophilic monsters looking to indoctrinate your children into a godless society without genders where up is down and Americans are hateful, bigoted racists who should feel ashamed every day about who they are. They work hard just to give away their money and jobs to lazy, freeloading others who steal their way of life and marginalize their voices. So defeating the Democrats is the only patriotic thing to do. They have to save the country from these deviants looking to ruin all their ancestors built. And if you have to steal babies from their refugee mothers or shame children for being different or take away women's rights to do it, so be it. If owning the libs comes with losing your health care or shitty infrastructure or an unlivable minimum wage, you will take the hit because what's the choice? Letting the demons ruin your country? No way. With the Democrats as the big bad enemy, the Republicans can get away with almost anything. You will vote against your own best interests time and again if you think you're doing it from a place of altruism. You'll give up your power to whomever promises to defeat the enemy, and only then will you realize you gave up your power. Look at Russia. Look at Hungary. 
Both started as democracies that voted strongman leaders into office and then piece by piece lost their rights. The strongman and his enablers get richer and stronger and more powerful, and the people who put them in power are more and more marginalized with less and less power to do anything about it. President Biden has been very clear from the beginning of his presidency, literally from the first minutes of his inaugural address, that we are in a battle between democracy and autocracy, not just on the world stage, but here at home. The question is not American democracy versus foreign autocracy, but American democracy versus American autocracy. Biden spoke about the extension of autocracy around the world and the ambitions of people like Putin and Orban, but we can't ignore the fact that he was also speaking about Donald Trump's attempt to subvert the results of our election in our own country and the violence and division that has unfolded because of it. Since his campaign, Joe Biden has argued this as the defining issue of our time. We see it with Xi Jinping in China, Modi in India, Bolsonaro in Brazil. We see it with the rise of Marine Le Pen in France. It's no accident that Putin has taken special pains to tighten his alliance with each one of these leaders. This anti-democratic movement also has strong allies in the U.S. With Trump's effort to undermine the 2020 election, the Republicans' efforts to make voting more difficult, the right-wing propaganda machine painting the opposition as the evil enemy, and the GOP's outright defying of the rule of law. It's a pattern. And anyone who thinks Putin's brutality in Ukraine, Orban's victory in Hungary, Alexander Vivic's election in Serbia, Le Pen's campaign in France, or the GOP's effort to attack democracy in America are unrelated is kidding themselves. We can't allow ourselves to become complacent. We are so close to losing everything we take for granted, the freedoms that define us, and there is a growing movement around the world to help make this so. As Biden said, this is a generational challenge, and the outcome is not assured unless we truly understand the severity of the threat. There are some who clearly believe that autocratic power would be preferable in the United States to democratic elections. If you ask Trump whether he should get to hold on to power for as long as he wanted or be subject to open elections every four years, what do you think he would say? I mean, he might at least pay lip service to the importance of elections. After all, a lot of autocracies often include elections, but elections under the leader's control. So no election in that kind of environment can ever really be considered credible. Kim Jong-un is, after all, the elected leader of North Korea, but it's crystal clear, much like Putin, that there is no other choice. With Trump as their de facto leader and their continued attack on voting rights and marginalization of the other, the Republicans keep telling us how they plan to run this country if they get power again. And it is a plan we ought to be paying very close attention to. Trump himself recently backed Viktor Orban. He said he's tough and smart and loves his country and has my complete and total endorsement. Prime Minister Orban who has spent the past 11 years in power asserting control over the Hungarian judiciary, enriching his loyalists, eliminating the free press, and rewriting the country's laws to benefit his own party. Viktor Orban, who's been repeatedly criticized by democracy watchdogs for his anti-democratic tendencies and human rights abuses. Orban, the close ally of Vladimir Putin, who has systematically carved away democracy in his country and actively celebrates the triumphant defeat of Western liberal values. Viktor Orban, who claims Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is his enemy, along with George Soros and the international left, a loud and prominent anti-Semitic dog whistle. This is who the leader of the Republican Party endorses. We can't continue to pretend Republicans don't want to embrace this kind of a liberal leadership. This power beyond reproach and ultimate control. 
So much so that they are hosting the Conservative Political Action Committee, or CPAC, in Hungary this May, with their keynote speaker being none other than Prime Minister Orban himself. Knock, knock. Who's there? Authoritarianism. And if we allow the Republicans to be in charge of our house again, that is who's coming in. And they will never leave. In a recent interview, Fiona Hill told the New York Times Magazine that it's clear Trump wants to be an authoritarian leader like Putin or Orban. Hill warns that if Americans allow Donald Trump to be elected to a second term, it would effectively cause the U.S. to lose all credibility on the global stage. She says... In the course of his presidency, Trump would come to resemble Putin in political practice and predilection far more than he resembled any recent American president. Even in his first term, Hill reminds us that Trump was pushing for the same arrangements as Orban and Putin. Hill points out that Trump wanted to push the margins and stay in power without any checks and balances. She clarifies that while he was president, Trump used Ukraine as a plaything for his own purposes, and it was that behavior that helped pave the way for Putin to launch an unprovoked war on the country. Hill says Trump privatized American foreign policy for his own personal gain with the sole focus of retaining power, irrespective of what the people wanted. And the Republican Party signed off on it. They signed off on his lawless behaviors. They signed off on all his lies about the election and his attempt to stage a coup. They signed off on his admiration of dictators and despots, on violence as a path to victory, on the undermining of the rule of law and on leadership by nepotism and quid pro quo rather than competence or skill. The January 6th attack on the Capitol by rabid Trump supporters may have embarrassed some Republicans, but it didn't shift their political calculus. In fact, Republicans have gotten even more radical since Trump left office, passing law after law making it harder to vote while falsely arguing that Biden didn't actually win. They've tried to stop any and all investigations into the insurrection and attempted coup. They've taken the side of the insurrectionists over the police. They've shielded outspoken racist GOP lawmakers who physically threatened their own colleagues. They've banned books that focus on racism and sexuality and what they see as an unflattering version of history. They're passing anti-trans laws, anti-gay laws, anti-abortion laws. Texas is essentially a far-right police state at this point, with Florida, Oklahoma, and Tennessee right behind. The Republican-appointed justices on the Supreme Court are issuing opinions limiting the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, and any and all abortion rights. Future cases look to contemplate removing the right to contraception, interracial marriage, gay marriage, and the right to privacy itself. It shouldn't matter what party you align with. The actions and behaviors of the Republicans should be setting off all kinds of alarm bells. So while you consider those alarms and who you should be warning about them, let's take a moment to thank the people who care enough about democracy to sponsor this show. We'll be back after this. Today's spot is sponsored by Stamps.com. For more than 20 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Stamps.com gives you access to all the post office and UPS shipping services you need right from your computer. Time, as they say, is money. Don't waste either with repeated trips to the post office. Literally all you need is a computer and a standard printer. No special supplies or equipment. You are up and running in minutes, printing official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. Stamps.com gives you access to all the post office and UPS shipping services without going to the post office or UPS. And it gives you discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 40% off at USPS or 76% off at UPS. Yeah, you heard that right. 76% off. So stop wasting your time in the lines and overpaying for shipping with Stamps.com. 
Sign up with promo code POLITICSGIRL for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code POLITICSGIRL. You know I'm a California girl. Well, today's podcast is sponsored by Brightland, a California-based company that offers fresher, healthier olive oils and vinegars. If you're like me, you love olive oil, but there's a lot of gross olive oil out there. Like some olive oils are actually blends that are made with inferior or old oils. Brightland only uses pesticide-free local harvests made without any fillers or artificial preservatives. Only the most recent olive harvest goes into Brightland oil, and each bottle is labeled with its harvest date. Olives are harvested early in the season and then pressed 90 minutes, so you get the highest quality oil with the best possible flavor. Brightland oils are shipped right to your door in recyclable bottles with sustainable packaging. I just got Brightland's Duo package. That's two bottles of oil called Awake and Alive. Awake is a full flavor oil that works well with things like breads and soups. And Alive is a smoother oil that's perfect on roasted vegetables and salads. They're delicious and different enough that you can really tell. If you love cooking or eating, don't use any old olive oil. Go to brightland.co slash politicsgirl and try the duo and give yourself and your cooking some added flavor and flair. That's B-R-I-G-H-T-L-A-N-D dot C-O slash politicsgirl and save 10% on your order of the duo. Thank you, Brightland, for sponsoring this podcast. This week's podcast is sponsored by our friends at Blinkist. If you listen to this podcast, you know that Blinkist is a book summarizing subscription service that allows you to read or listen to the key insights from best-selling nonfiction books in around 15 minutes. I love Blinkist because it allows me to indulge in things I want to learn, but I'm not working on. And it's nice to remind myself I have other interests, but without taking up too much of my time. This week, I started Ancient Wisdoms for Everyday Living, a nine-book curated list that includes the ancient philosophies that have been the foundations on which the Western world was built. I started with Happiness, A History by Darren McMahon, which explores the conception of happiness and how it's changed and evolved over time. The next book up is The Art of War by Sun Tzu, which is a famous military business and legal strategy book that just happens to be thousands of years old. There are so many great books out there, but I'm sure if you're like me, you're like, when am I ever going to have the time to read those? Blinkist not only summarizes the books for you in audio form, but also gives you a text summary where you can highlight and write notes right on your phone to follow up with later. And when you're listening, they say things like, hey, here's the key message for this chapter. Here's the takeaway. I get so much out of it. Blinkist has over 5,000 audio titles. I'm telling you, it's a great product. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash politicsgirl and get your seven-day free trial and 25% off the Blinkist premium membership. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash politicsgirl to get 25% off and a seven-day free trial. It's a short time commitment for a huge result. And we're back with the Czech democracy warning lights going off in our country. Maintaining control at the state level has allowed Republicans to lock in their power for years, perhaps decades, something that isn't supposed to happen in a functioning democracy. In North Carolina, Ohio, Texas, and other states, Republicans have adopted highly aggressive gerrymanders that make it almost impossible for Democrats to ever win control of those legislatures. This is one of the clearest signs of the decline of American democracy. Look at Wisconsin. 
Because of gerrymandering in the far-right Supreme Court, Democrats are essentially locked out of winning the legislature in a state Biden won in 2020. Georgetown University historian Thomas Zimmer points out, whenever Republicans are in charge, they are fully committed to erecting a one-party rule. And they do it at the federal level as well. Republicans are gerrymandering U.S. House districts as aggressively as possible to ease their path to the majority in 2022, implementing voter restrictions and measures to allow state-level Republicans to take over local election boards to tip the U.S. Senate and gubernatorial races to them. Some GOP officials are even openly embracing the radical idea that legislatures, not voters, are actually the ones who have final say in determining the presidential results of their state. Sadly, Democrats didn't win enough power in 2020 to counteract this anti-democratic shift, which is why it's so incredibly distressing that Democratic senators like Manchin and Cinema have so far opposed ending the filibuster to pass bills to shore up democracy and voting rights. And Supreme Court reform is off the table without a bigger Senate majority. Perry Bacon Jr. writes for The Washington Post that all of this explains why democracy is eroding, even with Biden in the White House. And there are many easily foreseeable ways it could get worse if Republicans gain control of Congress in 22 and Trump or a Trump-like figure wins or more realistically is given the presidency in 2024. Representative democracy is very close to being dead in this country and one whole party is happy to let it happen provided they're the ones in charge when it ends. Russians might not be winning in Ukraine, but the ideology they support, their long-term goal to undermine Western liberal democracies and the cohesion of the West, continues to gain steam. Leaders with close ties to Russia like Trump, Orban, Vivek, Le Pen, they are all showing surprising success in their countries. This is bad for Europe, it's bad for NATO, and it's bad for anyone who isn't pro-ethno-nationalistic authoritarianism. For the past two decades, Putin has promoted these ideas from the Kremlin around the world. And finally, this alternative to democracy and Western culture has started to make real gains. He's propped up authoritarian leaders in places like Syria and Belarus. He's publicly and financially supported the candidacy of Orbach, Vivak, Trump, and Le Pen. He's created a symbiotic look-out-for-each-other relationship with Xi Jinping. The fact that Le Pen is the candidate in a runoff election this month against the current French president Emmanuel Macron is a symbol of Putin's success. Although Macron is favored to win, the idea that someone that extreme could take over in France is terrifying. If Le Pen won, she would cut the heart out of Europe. She would leave NATO and potentially the EU and rule just like her far-right, anti-immigrant, ultranationalist father whose life she emulates. It should be noted that along with Russian funding in the current election cycle, Le Pen has also been receiving funding from Orban's Hungarian banks. Putin and his cronies are actively promoting far-right-wing groups and candidates across the West with the ultimate goal of destroying Western alliances and way of life and hindering their ability to act against them in the future. And this kind of attack, this emboldened dictator taking aim at our entire American way of life, at our Western democratic values of freedom and fairness, should infuriate us. It should unite us. But it's not. Because one whole party in our two-party system and one whole side of American media has chosen to actively or subversively embrace the breakdown of American democracy and liberal values because they have deemed them to be less important than their own retained power and personal values. 
Look at the way the Republican Party and the right-wing media responded to Russian interference in our elections, how they respond to Russia in general, how they talk about leaders like Putin and Orban, or how they responded to Putin's recent invasion of Ukraine. This isn't just a Trump thing. The Republican Party is following his lead. Trump is dishonest about everything. The Republicans endorse his lies. Trump lashes out at independent government institutions like the Justice Department and Congress and pushed for more top-down government control when he was in office. The Republican Party followed his lead. Trump talks about locking up his political opponents. The Republican Party is making public lists of people to lock up when they get back in power. This is autocratic behavior. The Republicans are actively moving away from open democratic elections and democratic values in general. Even Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who blamed the insurrection and violence on Trump, voted to not hold him accountable, and now claims he would vote for him again if he was the nominee. Mitch McConnell, arguably the most powerful Republican in government, has gone on the record to say he would support a twice-impeached, known liar who tried to illegally overthrow the American government to keep himself in power simply to retain his own seat at the table. He could stand against this behavior now and people would listen, but he won't. And it's that kind of self-serving cynicism that is killing this country. And speaking of self-serving cynicism, Fox News host Tucker Carlson cannot stop waxing poetic about Orban and his government. He goes on national TV almost every night to say how much the U.S. could learn from Hungary. He went to visit Hungary in a primetime special, and lest we forget... Anytime we talk about Tucker and Putin's buddy Orban, Tucker's own father is listed as the director of a Washington-based lobbying firm that represents Orban in the United States. So keep autocracy in the family, I guess. Carlson, along with many Fox News hosts and guests, continued to amplify Putin's position on the war in Ukraine long after it was even remotely reasonable to do so. In fact, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov recently praised Fox News during an English-language interview on RT, saying they were the only network trying to represent some alternative points of view and calling the rest of the U.S. press propaganda that engages in information terrorism. This from a man whose country attacks even the smallest expressions of truth and opposition and has been known to imprison or assassinate larger ones. A man representing a country whose leader started his dictatorship by taking over the two biggest independent news networks, has removed freedom of speech, freedom of the press, and the right to assemble in his country, and is currently blocking all foreign news networks and social media. So you know you're on the wrong side of propaganda when the propagandists are praising you for your work. Disinformation is what allows Russia to keep up its atrocities, and Russian state TV is currently broadcasting full segments from Fox News. Fox anchors then turn around and use statements from the Kremlin to launch attacks on Biden. It's a tit for tat, with Russia and Fox both working towards the same goal, to undermine America for their own benefit. People have to recognize how much justice and democracy are threatened when powerful figures attack the free press, fuel disinformation, and reject all facts they don't like. Russia sees America as a dying empire. They see our polarization and they're looking to capitalize on it. They recognize that most empires aren't conquered but destroyed from within and they are counting on the same fate awaiting America and they are here to help. Salon Magazine reported in April that propagandists on Russian state television just told their audience the time had come to sever diplomatic relations with the United States and the Kremlin was finalizing its preparations to interfere in future American elections. 
Apparently, President Biden's unwavering support for Ukraine has revitalized Moscow's appetite for manipulating the American electorate. Journalist Julia Davis reports that the Russian objective is to again help our partner, former President Donald Trump, to become president. Davis's takeaway from the Russian position, however, is a little broader than just getting Trump elected. While she agrees that Trump is certainly seen as a valued asset inside of Russia, she believes that the real agenda of the Kremlin operatives was never limited to just boosting any particular candidate, but rather aimed at harming America as a whole. With Europe, economic wars have taken priority, but with America, they believe they should be working to amplify our divisions and deepen the polarization in our society. On the Russian television show, An Evening with Vladimir Soloviev, Soloviev, a known puppet of the Kremlin, says the U.S.'s backing of President Zelensky's government is a preview of an upcoming clash between the U.S. and Russia that is only beginning to heat up. He goes on to lament how Russia's ability to spread disinformation in the U.S. has been diminished since RT was banned in America after Putin's attack on Ukraine. Davis notes that the Russians are now actively trying to get Americans through other channels to make up for the loss of RT. Soloviev suggests working with the Spanish-speaking media, since America is becoming predominantly Spanish-speaking. He says that Russia should be working through Latin American press to undermine America in that direction. Russian pundit and guest of the show, Karen Shakhanazarov, suggests Russia break diplomatic relations completely with the United States, believing it would deliver a crushing blow to Biden. She says, there are plenty of people in the U.S. who say he is bringing them to the edge of nuclear war. This will be a strong signal. The show host expands on that point, suggesting that Russia should just go ahead and nuke the U.S. because that's the true nature of the war in Ukraine. He says exactly what we've been talking about today on this pod, that the war isn't against the Ukraine, but the entire West. And he suggests maybe it's time for them to strike. His argument being, we're already being called a pariah state and war criminals. Why not just finish it? This is a show on mainstream Russian television. Julia Davis points out that short of a nuclear holocaust, it's clear that Russia's focusing its efforts on distracting America from its foreign policy objectives by threatening to meddle in U.S. internal affairs. Konstantin Dolgov, the deputy chairman of the Committee of Economic Policy of Russia's Federation Council, confirmed as much on the same show. He said, the midterm results will apparently not be good for the Democrats. But he goes on to claim that the 2022 elections are, quote, just a rehearsal, and that the main elections are further ahead and preparations for those are already underway. These are the people Republicans are playing footsie with. This is the channel Fox is being played on. This is a major problem for America. Philip Bump of the Washington Post speaks to this idea when he talks about American pundits on networks like Fox and Republican politicians seemingly supporting the Russian position on election interference, information warfare, and disinformation campaigns. When it comes to the war in Ukraine, he puts it well when he asks, what are you doing when you rationalize the Russian invasion? You are making excuses for an autocratic nation to take over a democratic one. If your position as a political or thought leader in a democratic nation is that people have the right to self-governance, then it's difficult to see how you could possibly defend what the Russians are doing. If, however, you think that democracy is simply a means to an end as long as you end up on top, then we, the American people, should acknowledge the danger we're in if we put those people back in charge. We need to wake up and see this is all part of the same problem. We have Russian pro-autocrat assets in our media and our government. 
Yuri Bezmenov, a KGB agent and journalist for Soviet International News Agency, now deceased, was quoted years ago talking about KGB recruitment. He said, My instructor specifically made the point, never bother with leftists. He was directed to infiltrate large circulation established conservative media. Bezmenov claims that his training was to look for cynical, egocentric people who can look you in the eye with an angelic expression on their face and tell you a lie. The KGB taught him that these were the most recruitable people, people who lack moral principles, who are either too greedy or suffer too much from self-importance. Bezmenov clarified that the KGB seeks out this type of person who are sure that they matter a whole lot. So, you know, your Tucker Carlson's and your Laura Ingram's and your Candace Owens, politicians like Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Look, Putin clearly understands it's expensive to fight a conventional war. Compromising U.S. politicians is cheaper and more effective. Back in 2016, a month before Donald Trump got the Republican nomination for president, one of his closest allies in Congress, House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, was caught in a recording on Capitol Hill with his fellow GOP lawmakers saying, there are two people I think Putin pays, Robacher and Trump. And a bunch of the lawmakers laughed and McCarthy followed it up with, I swear to God. And at that point, House Speaker Paul Ryan immediately interjected, stopping the conversation and instructed all the Republicans present to secrecy, saying, no leaks. This is how we know we're a real family here. The conversation, which was listened to and verified by the Washington Post, referred to Representative Dana Robacher, who at the time was a California Republican known in Congress as a fervent defender of Putin, and of course, Trump who made no secret of the fact that he thinks favorably of both Russia and its authoritarian leader, and has proven time and again that he's willing to reject widely held U.S. foreign policy to align himself with the Kremlin on virtually everything from Russian interference in our election to the war in Syria. Interestingly, at the time, Republican leadership making their jokes about Russian compromised politicians had just come out of a meeting with the then Ukrainian prime minister who had described a Kremlin tactic of financing populist politicians to undercut democratic institutions. The exchange shows that the Republican leadership in the House already knew that Russia was in bed with American politicians, but wanted to keep their concerns secret. Now, experts point out it's probably an incorrect assumption to consider all the people who speak the Kremlin talking points are Russian apologists or who flirt with autocracy are simply puppets of the Kremlin or on Putin's payroll. We need to look at it more like a globally aligned group who share the same goals and will endorse each other to promote the same agenda. Some will be paid to do it, but others are just working for the cause. Dave Troy, writer, podcaster, and technologist, says while it's easy to see that Tulsi Gabbard, Tucker Carlson, or Glenn Greenwald are pushing Kremlin-aligned narratives, none of them are likely getting paid directly by Russia in any organized way. He goes on to say people like Peter Thiel or the DeVos family are often directly operational funders, again because of a philosophical alignment rather than a financial obligation. So it's hard to shut down this sort of activity under the Foreign Agent Registration Act, or FARA, which was passed in 1938 to shut down Nazi propagandists, because these people aren't foreigners, and they are not being paid directly by foreigners. And even if they are, that's hard to prove, because many of these people use so many nested shell companies and OPEG financials. It is, however, clearer than ever to see who is Kremlin-aligned these days. You just have to listen to what they say and watch what they do. It's authoritarianism versus democracy. Kremlin talking points versus reality. 
And although Fox News has mostly done a complete 180 on their coverage now that Russia is losing the war, at the beginning of the conflict, there was no doubt which side Fox was on. Laura Ingram called Zelensky's plea for Russia not to invade his country as a pathetic display from a defeated man. While she was on the phone with Trump, he called Putin savvy and smart for invading Ukraine by pretending to liberate it. Ingram went on to blame the Democrats for empowering Putin. Tucker Carlson, who is still supporting Russian talking points to this day, questioned why we're even on Ukraine's side. He said, why aren't we on Russia's side? Which, by the way, I am. Tucker told the audience of his number one cable news show that Ukraine is not our vital ally. We have no legal or moral obligation to defend Ukraine's territorial integrity as we surrender our own to the rest of the world. He went on to say that Ukraine isn't even a democracy, despite what Joe Biden endlessly claims. He told his 600,000 plus viewers that Ukraine is a corrupt Eastern European autocracy that has spent millions of dollars lobbying politicians in Washington and, by the way, has made Joe Biden's family rich. That's just a blatant lie. And, by the way, all official talking points of the Kremlin, indistinguishable from Russian propaganda. No wonder RT is playing his show in its entirety to Russian audiences. Despite the fact that Biden has projected nothing but strength and confidence on the world stage, strengthening NATO and standing up to Putin, and even going so far as to call him what he really is, a war criminal, MAGA Republicans like Kevin McCarthy, RNC Chair Rona McDaniel, Senators Christy Hyde-Smith, Marco Rubio, Tim Scott, Marsha Blackburn, Ron Johnson, Tom Cotton, Ted Cruz, and House members like Jim Jordan, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Paul Gosar, Matt Gates, Wendy Rogers, and Thomas Massey are all in on Kremlin talking points or Biden bashing. The official RNC Twitter account is almost word-for-word Russian talking points. Lots of Joe Biden is a weak, corrupt sellout. And despite the fact that Trump publicly fanboyed over Putin's invasion, this never would have happened under Trump. Is it really so hard to believe that Russians have gotten to and compromised Republicans in office? Eight Republican representatives spent the 4th of July in 2018 in Russia. Those same senators all went on to vote against funding to secure American state election systems against Russian interference. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has $300 million in the Florida retirement system in Russian-owned and headquartered businesses and refuses to divest them. Russian money is flowing like tap water to Republican PACs and super PACs through shell companies in places like the NRA, and GOP representatives continue to call themselves patriots while crapping all over America, American ideals, norms, allies, and interests. Look at the way they vote. 65 House Republicans and 31 Republican senators just voted no on supplying military and humanitarian aid to Ukraine. In the middle of an active war, While Russia commits daily atrocities like shooting civilians, destroying cities for kicks, and gang-raping women and children, and with Putin himself talking about eradicating Ukrainians from the planet, 30% of House Republicans just voted against reaffirming America's membership in NATO and strengthening the organization's commitment to defending democracy. These people are telling us who they are. We need to listen. These are the leaders who will be running the show if we give Republicans power again, not the moderates, these monsters. As Terry Canefield, my favorite appellate lawyer and author says, you can see why Putin is emboldened. He's probably surprised more Republicans didn't vote against strengthening democracy. Clearly, Putin has American representatives and celebrities doing his bidding, either deliberately or incidentally, dividing our allegiance and undermining our democracy, and it should terrify and infuriate every one of us. 
Putin is a monster, a tyrant, a war criminal who's banned the free press, locks up political enemies, and uses his country as a piggy bank for himself and his rich friends. And these American leaders want to follow, as Viktor Orban did, in his footsteps. Republicans in Russia are working towards the same goal, but for different reasons. The Republicans are sowing division at home, undermining the government, encouraging chaos, extending the virus, worsening inflation, and stirring up social divisions with the single-minded intention of regaining power in 22 and installing power in 24. They show us every day they just aren't that interested in a pluralistic, multicultural America with freedom and rights for all. They cripple democracy every day with their voter suppression and gerrymandering and undermining of the last election. They're passing laws every day now, sidelining women's rights, civil rights, gay rights, trans rights. They want to remove our social safety net of Social Security and Medicare. And that's not me making a guess. They put that in writing. Along with the prioritization of the family unit, Christian values, and saluting the flag. They've promised to lock up their political enemies, people like Dr. Fauci and Adam Schiff, two honest and fair civil servants who have devoted their lives and careers to this country. Senator Rick Scott's 11-point plan to save America reads like a fascist handbook. Under this version of the Republican Party, America will be a democracy in name only, and the Russians could hope for nothing better. The destruction of America as a beacon of hope, the bastion of freedom and liberal values, the end of America's influence and military backing for NATO, for human rights and environmental causes, how could they ask for anything more? For how long do you think Western values will survive if America is no longer protecting them? Ultimately, we have to consider why this brutal autocracy and its dictator appeal to Republicans. Why they're hosting their conservative conference in a newly autocratic country. Why they favor Trump and his nepotistic, fascistic behaviors when his actions and choices are the antithesis of what their own pro-freedom, don't-tread-on-me, patriotic personas connect with. I've thought a lot about this. And my working theory is that Republican voters are either really rich and want to stay that way or quite conservative and want the world to stay that way. The people looking out for their own wallets are not that interesting. They're basically in line with right-wing leadership who wants to be as rich and powerful as possible while answering to the least amount of people possible. But the old school conservative voters and the MAGA Republicans, they interest me. What is it about the movement that has inspired such cult status? What is it that's made these people check their logic and critical thought at the door and go all in until they're waving the American flag with Trump's face in the middle of it or terrorizing the Capitol? What could turn these patriots into this mob or allow previously sensible people to check their values at the door and vote for such a low-life traitor? What could turn diehard Americans into pro-Russia sympathizers? I think that Republicans in Russia both prioritize the way it used to be a world with patriarchal hierarchies and women being women and men being men and there being no other choice. That they liked the idea of a time where they didn't have to feel bad about what they said or have to think about how their behavior might make someone else feel. Perhaps they feel that just life just gets harder every year and now they have to learn new things and address their biases and monitor their language. No, thank you. Who has time for that? And if I'm standing in their shoes, I think they're also pretty sick of feeling like they're bad people because they feel like they're good people, even if their behavior says otherwise. Most are Christian. And there's the rub. Because when you add in religion, particularly the Christian faith, which is why the Republicans have been so successful with evangelicals, the brands line up. America of the past, Christianity, and autocracies 
all come with a right and wrong way of doing things. They all come with boxes you fit yourself into. And if you don't fit, no one expects the box to expand. Those people will hide, they will change, or they will go away. There are rules. You follow them and you're a good person. You don't and you're bad and you deserve to be punished. Autocracy and conservative religious values are very similar. They both have on high leaders. They both come with rules that pass the buck on critical thought. You don't have to consider how you feel about things. You're not even really supposed to. You just obey. If you conform, you are rewarded. If you don't, you are punished. The answers are given to you. You don't have to decide which way to go. You are pointed in a direction. Religion and autocratic societies eradicate most of the decisions on your part. You know where you stand and you're part of a community and that gives you a sense of place. You belong. And you get to belong as long as you follow directions. Autocracy takes obedience. Democracy takes work. In democracy, there's no hard, fast, black, white, good, bad. It's full of nuance and change and everyone gets a voice and you have to adjust and that is hard. In an evolving, multicultural, diverse society, maybe someone you like is now considered a bad person. Something that was fine to say 10 years ago is now considered unacceptable. Something that happened 200 years ago now feels like your fault. No, no, that is too hard. That's too much. I think the majority of people at the rallies and screaming about saving the children are really just overwhelmed at the speed the world changed and they liked it better when they knew the rules and they fit in and they were considered good and worthy. So they will take the safety of autocracy with all of its rules over what feels like the instability of democracy. But they won't realize how much they gave away until it's too late. And we have to remind them. So go out and speak up for democracy, for the mess and the work that brings change and growth and hope. Go out and speak to your people about what these right-wing politicians and media stars will take from us if we allow it, who they're in bed with and why that's bad for America. People want things to be easier and they want to punish those they've been told have made it hard. And like religion, some are willing to take almost anything if they're promised their lives will get better. You have to convince them it won't. Now go out and make the world a better place. Thank you for caring enough about democracy to be here. Until next week, PG out. The Politics Girl podcast is written and performed by me, Lee McGowan, in partnership with the Midas Media Network and produced and edited by Happy Warrior Entertainment. All rights reserved.